Hey, Chief. Chief. Hey. Your glasses are here, Chief. If I didn't look out for that boy, he'd get lost. Been doing it for a long time. I'm Wallace from Elman Alcoholic. Sobriety date, February 16th, 1964. I found out yesterday at 9.25 that I was to do this today. I didn't sleep very well last night. But it is good to be here. It's always good to be with AA people because a long, long time ago you became my people. You accepted me and began to care for me and show me that you didn't care about my past, that what you were interested in and what I was doing with my life today. And so far today, my life has been sober, happy, joyous, and free. I don't have long to talk. He took most of it. <laughs> but I am an alcoholic, and I've been one for many, many years, and had no intentions of becoming one, but I did. Uh, it's not my fault. I made a conscious decision to drink, but I did not make a decision to become an alcoholic. And I'm not exactly sure why I became one. Maybe it's genetic. Maybe I drank too much too long. Maybe I crossed over that invisible line. Maybe Mommy put me on the party backwards. I don't know why. <laughs> but I became one. And after taking the first drink of booze in 1953, I immediately began to drink for the effect produced by alcohol. I liked the way it made me feel. I liked it because for once I could dance, laugh, talk, socialize, dance with the big boob women, and have a ball. <laughs> and I had been unable to do that prior to taking that drink. I liked everything so well the first night that I drank that I determined in my mind that I would be doing it on a regular basis. <laughs> and I began to do that. And quickly the trouble began coming about in my life and I absolutely could not stop the trouble because I did not stop the drinking. I didn't associate the drinking with the trouble. And it seems that the more I drank and the more I went out and socialized and did those things, the more trouble I got into. I didn't get into trouble every time I drank. But every time I got in trouble, I was drinking or drunk. And after years of this and going to jail for driving under the influence, after license revoked, resisting arrest, striking police officers, and doing all those things, after walking out on a wife and a baby, after destroying an army career, after losing job after job, after coming to in places that I did not want to be and with people that I did not want to be with, I had come to realize that I was being totally insane in many areas of my life. 
And during my second marriage, which was a total disaster, I began drinking again after three weeks of that marriage. I had sworn off again prior to that marriage in order to get my family off my back, in order to influence that lady, and in order to get her to ask me to marry her. <laughs> three weeks after we were married, I began drinking again. And the problems began to crop up again. And a year and three days after we were married, and after I had been totally blacked out, drunk and insane from Friday through Monday afternoon, offenses were committed that brought about my incarceration again on Monday morning, Tuesday morning. On Monday morning, I had come to at 5.30. My wife was vigorously shaking me, asking me was I going to work. The weekend had been blacked out almost totally. And that Monday morning, when she shook me and asked me was I going to work, I said yes. But when I turned to get off my bed, my elbow hit something hard on the pillow. It was two pints of North Carolina moonshine white liquor. And I sat there on the side of the bed that morning and began to drink. A few minutes later, she came into the room, and she was very hysterical when she saw me drinking. And she proceeded to tell me some things that she had never told me before. To get out of her house, out of her heart, out of her life forever that we were through. That she was going to work, and that when she got home that afternoon, I was to be out. And of course, I proceeded to drink that day, and I went to town that day, apparently and was told that I had been seen in uptown drunk. I heard people testify later on that uh, they would not sell me beer that afternoon I was drunk. I heard a sheriff testify later on that he had looked out his window at the sheriff's office that Monday afternoon and that he was coming out to arrest me at 4 o'clock. I was drunk on the street. But he said the phone rang, and he came out. He answered the phone and was on the phone for about a minute. He came back to the door to see where I was, and I was gone. And he figured the police had me or would have me within a few minutes. And I have wished a million times plus that he had arrested me that afternoon because sometime within the next couple of hours, offenses were committed that brought about my arrest again the next morning. And, of course, I was placed in jail. No bond was allowed. That was January 21st of 1963. February 13th of 63, I stood in Superior Court in my hometown of Roxborough, North Carolina, and was sentenced to a period of natural life, plus 40 years at the expiration. And it was two days late I was carried into Central Prison. Never will forget that day, that Wednesday afternoon, when they uh, carried me into Central Prison, and they did carry me in, handcuffed between two other guys. When we got into the back hall, I looked on the wall, and there was a clock, 20 minutes to 3. The door on my right-hand side slammed shut, and when that big steel door slammed shut, 
a feeling of relief come over me. I was exactly where I belonged. I did not belong out here in the free society with you people. I would not have to bring any more heartbreak or shame or degradation on the name of my family. Wouldn't have to hurt anyone else again. Wouldn't have to drink again. I knew that. And I got into that institution. My head was hung real low, hurting on the inside, very, very full of pain, remorse, guilt, shame. Had never experienced feelings like that before. Afraid, but trying to put up that front that Tom was talking about. And of course, I went to work uh, in the classification section and was quickly introduced by other inmates to some pills, tablets, capsules, and little bottles of alcohol that were being smuggled from the hospital. They immediately began to get drunk. In June, some four, four months later, I went to my first AA meeting, but it didn't mean anything for the next eight months. But on February 16th of 64, I came to in my cell block one Sunday night. Miserable, the most miserable any human being could be. I couldn't get as drunk and stay as drunk for as long as I wanted to stay drunk, and I couldn't get sober. I had no program of recovery. The only thing that made sense that night was suicide. I made up my mind that at 9 o'clock when this door slid open, I would go over the railing head first. And I took everything I had on the pillow and took that last bottle of alcohol and I drank it down and stood at the door waiting. And sometime around 30 or 40 minutes later, God in his infinite mercy had given me another chance. I came to. There was a roll of vomit from the door to the commode, and my head was in the commode, crying, coughing, gasping, choking. And inmates in the cell block on the right and on the left told me the next morning I had cried out that night, God, if you help me get back to AA, I'll try. I went back to the AA group the following Thursday night, knowing this time why I was there. I don't know why I went in June of 63, whether it's to get coffee, donuts, see the free people, to get out of the cell block where it was 105 degrees. Don't know why I went. But in February of 64, I know precisely why I was there. I had to find relief. I went into that group desperately seeking a way and means to find relief. And even though I had been seeing Tom for several months, I had not really come to know him, hadn't talked with him other than speaking with him. And within a few days after going back to that group, Tom gave me a copy of a book called Alcoholics Anonymous and told me what I needed to do with it. And I did. I took it to my cell block and began to read it. I began to get active in the group began to do those things that were suggested to me by the people from the community who were coming in there, began to set up for meetings, make coffee, began to write letters to outside people asking them to come in to speak, became secretary of the group, 
would give up my movie time on Saturday morning at the prison in order to have access to a typewriter and be able to write a letter. And as a result of getting active in that group, and as a result of finding a sponsor some two years later, as a result of taking step four and step five and proceeding further into the program, and as a result of finding a power greater than myself after a period of time, a psychic change took place in my life, whereby there, behind the walls of Central Prison, I found a new freedom and a new happiness. I began to walk the backyard of that prison unit as free as any man or woman out here in this community today. Because the grace of God and the power of Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm here to tell you, is stronger than the disease of alcoholism. And it can penetrate walls that we never thought possible. And that's... And that's one of the reasons that I love you people so much today who take the time to go into those institutions and carry the message, a message that's going to save somebody's life because it saved mine years and years and years ago. And just because I got in AA and, and began to experience some happiness and joy in my life and just because I got active didn't mean that they were going to turn me loose. I stayed active the entire time that I was in prison. And I only stayed in 18 years, 5 months, 26 days, and 2 hours. <laughs> I got out when I was supposed to. A male member of Al Anon went to bat for me in 1981 or 80 and uh, began to write some letters and call the government. And I got out on parole as a result of that male member of Al-Anon getting some other people to write letters and over 500 letters went into the parole board in the governor's office saying Wallace would be all right if he was in the community, that he's been in a program of recovery for years and years and that he is truly a different person. And the governor that we have today was also the governor at that time and he commuted that sentence. And he doesn't compute, commute anybody's sons. <laughs> if you schedule to go down in the big house, you go. None of that happens with this governor. But I can tell you, the God of my understanding can touch hearts and knock down barriers we never thought possible. <laughs> I got out in 81, stayed on parole five years. And I've never met another inmate that had been given the privilege of building a home while he was in prison. The last three years I was in, I remarried because I was going out on home leave. I was working at the phone company on work release. Uh, they gave me permission to build that home, gave me permission to marry. because she didn't move with me into the <laughs> jail, but I did get to see her on weekends and... Uh, it was great. But getting out in 1981 was still somewhat fearful. I didn't know how I would handle this new freedom and new happiness. But I was told by my sponsor, who was a Presbyterian minister at that time, 
and had years of recovery in AA, that if I kept on doing what I was doing, some great things would come about in my life. And they have. I have continued to be active in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm one of the founding members of the Correctional Facilities Committee along with Tom in the state of North Carolina. I've served as DCM, as State Correctional Facility Chairperson. I've been the sponsor of prison units since I've been out. The same unit that I served my last years in, I sponsored it for five consecutive years after I got out. Come July 16th, I'll be going back into the walls of Central Prison to carry the message because I've been a community volunteer there now for 18 years. I keep on doing. I keep on doing what you people taught me to do years ago. I watched you when you came into Central Prison. I don't recall anyone ever pointing an accusing thing at me. The people came in and shared their experience, strength, and hope and pointed a way out of the heartbreak, the devastation, the confusion that comes about in our lives when we go insane through the use of alcohol. Today I am continuing to be happy, joyous, and free. I retired from that job that I took on work release, uh, working with the phone company. For two years after that, I worked in the DART Alcoholism Treatment Program with Tom. Had spent enough time with the state, and I'm no longer with them. <laughs> I'm fully retired, but have I do work part-time for a book company out of 8 Oklahoma. Do it in the fall of the year because it pays good money. <laughs> I like what I'm doing today. I like having a host of friends about me. I like the opportunities that have come about in my life. I sat over there last night in that stadium and looked at that massive structure of concrete and steel, 50,000 or more alcoholics there. And I thought back to 1965 when I was in that massive structure of concrete and steel in Central Prison that Tom talked about. When I drew that picture of that little man walking to the International AA Convention in 1965, yesterday with a sponsee I have here, we walked for a walk going to the Metrodome. And I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that as long as I stick with you people, I stick with the God of my understanding and keep on walking the walk that come 2005, I won't have to draw a picture of this little man walking to Toronto, Canada. Millard and I will get on that plane and we'll be in Toronto. <laughs> And we'll see you people now. I love you. <laughs>